Ecclesiastes 10. Solomon is turning the corner. Uh, We've read of his experiments, living life in all directions. Um, He's tried houses. I get stuck into those shows. You know, there's Netflix has a new one now called um, like Awesome Interiors or something like that, and it's kind of neat to see what you know all these different houses and what people with money or, or people who are not afraid to go into debt you know can do. You know, <laughs> building all these different things and and doing it all that way. Solomon's like, yeah, I tried that. Houses didn't satisfy. He tried gardens. Those shows kind of get me sometimes too. You know, fantastic backyards and they build all these things with pools and waterfalls and all that. You're like, oh, that'd be awesome. People get done with it, and it's like it doesn't fully satisfy. Solomon said he tried that. Inventions, you know, to, to have an idea and to see it come to fruition, he tried that. Women, you know, he's like, oh, I'll just try all the different loves I can have. I have all these different ones. I'll pursue it. You know, like the world tells us, you know, that, that, that is the, the be-all and end-all. And he's like, eh, no, I didn't do it. He had quests, you know, going after things, solving problems, solving riddles. He liked that. You know, people would come to him with problems from around the world that he would solve didn't satisfy expeditions that he sent out boats and ships to go and explore the world to bring back various and interesting things and bring it back to him so that he would have all kinds of strange animals and strange experiences and strange inventions from around the world that he could pull together and to have that all brought before him uh, like having the internet before the internet you know it really came to him and he got to see all these things didn't satisfy science pursuing what was out there solving problems wisdom Fame, music, you know, being entertained by the best entertainers and singings and songs and all that stuff. He'd have it all right there. Laughter, have the best comedians come in and tell you the best. He pursued all those things the first half of Ecclesiastes. And he's like, it didn't satisfy. He just would get done and say it's empty, it's foolishness, it's vain, you know, it's nothing. He tried everything in excess to see if it could find meaning and purpose on this earth, under the sun, without God, And without eternity in mind. Can he be satisfied on this earth? He said no. And he tried it all. It wasn't just like he tried one thing. You know, some men can try a few things. He tried it all and said no. Couldn't do it. And so he's uh, switching over. He's going back to what he began with. If you hold your spot here in chapter 10, look at chapter 1. Verse 1. He starts out and says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. The preacher. That's where he's going back to. And if you have a fancy version, you know, it might be preacher. Some of it just might say teacher. If you have a real fancy one, it might say quoteth. Uh, I've read a lot of stuff, and I'll be reading along, and all these uh, commentators like to use quoteth. They're like, oh, quoteth says, and quoteth, Q-U-O-E-L-E-T-H. I'm like, I don't even know what that is. I look it up. It's the Hebrew word for preacher, teacher. A collector of sayings. And so they like to say this fancy word for Solomon. Oh, quoteth. Uh, so if you ever hear it, that's what they're talking about. But it's a preacher, a teacher, a collector of sayings, one who's put these things, gone through life and accumulated knowledge and is now passing it on. And so Solomon has returned to that. And he hasn't exactly given us answers to life yet in chapter 10, but more things what to expect in this life. Advice on how to deal with those things that we get in our life. And so he's Tell us what he's gone through. He's back to the teacher preacher. He's coming back to the, I've tried all these things in life. Now, here's what I've learned. And so we're kind of in that part of the book where he's turning towards that, turning towards his conclusion. Uh, He has searched throughout the world. He has searched through life. He has observed life at different stations. Uh, We've even talked about at certain times how 
Um, he would look out his window. Matter of fact, you know, Proverbs 7, I think it is, talks about he sat his window. He looked through his casement. He observed the things that went on the street. He could watch people, their patterns, their lives, and what they went on. And he talks about seeing a guy and a girl and what they would do and how he knows his end and destruction, how he's watched it before. There's other times where we postulated that, it, and, and that people think that maybe he disguised himself and he went and lived as a commoner for a while. What's it like to work for the horses? What's it like to do this? And he would go out and try these different occupations and apply himself in that way because... He's Solomon. He could do that. You know, so he would go and disguise himself and live Joe average life or just as a, as a king in the court that he would hear all the different stations in life as he would have to judge these things and he would hear all the things that would go on and he's observed life and he is wise. Uh, a wisdom that probably we don't even understand, you know, that God has equipped him with wisdom and he has seen that life is unfair. He has seen that life is cruel, that it seems backwards. Like the way you think it would work, it works the totally opposite. And now that's frustrating. He, he sees that the world is wrong. And that sometimes the world is sick and perverted. And it's twisted. And then all that just kind of frustrates him. And Solomon has investigated all this for us. And as the teacher, as the preacher, as Quoleth here, he wants us to learn from him. That's wisdom. He is big on wisdom. You know, he talks about wisdom. It's the theme. It's Solomon wisdom. You know, it's like hand in hand. You know, it's like, you know, French fries and ketchup. You know, it's like Solomon and wisdom. They, they go together in that way. And so he wants to impart wisdom. Wisdom is learning from others. Uh, we also get wisdom, you know, by experience. But wisdom, wisdom, you know, if you can learn from others and save you the grief, you know, and you're so far ahead versus having to have life experiences, you know, uh, by reading through something and learning that and apply it to your life without having to experience it. That, that's wisdom. Uh, by observing what someone else has done and saying, I don't want to do that. Uh, as having uh, uh, three kids and then also you know, having brothers and sisters. It's like uh, the older one learns a lot of things for the other ones. And the other ones are like, I don't want to do that. Brian got in trouble. You know? <laughs> and, so, and so they kind of do, you know, the, and the middle ones kind of, and the, and the younger ones gain a little bit of experience by watching the others do that. So they get to do things earlier and all these other things. That they're, the, they're the trendsetter. They're, they're the test subject as it goes out in that way. And so uh, get some wisdom by learning and observing. The Bible tells us that the Old Testament, and matter of fact, the New Testament for you and me, is there for examples for us. You know, things for us to look at and observe and say, I don't want to do it that way. Well, there's the way I'm supposed to do it. There's a proverb that teaches me right. And so we're supposed to be gaining wisdom from this and apply it to our lives so that we don't have to go out and find for ourselves, you know, by experimenting and reinventing the wheel every time because it's already been done for us. And we can tell you, good is right. <laughs> you know, and uh, you can avoid evil. You can do dumb things. My, you know, my dad would always tell me, just because everybody else is doing it, I mean, you have to do it. Have a little bit of wisdom. Have a little bit of sense, you know, and so applying that to ourselves. You know, so we should um, use wisdom. Solomon is an example for us. And he even says, I went and I lived all these things so you could be wise. Don't do this. Here's the answer. He's given us uh, the cheat sheet on life, you know, so we don't have to go through all that time, trouble, and expense, and grief that comes with experimenting. And so he's wanting to give us wisdom. He's wanting to impart that to us. And so he says he's tried everything. And then everything that he has tried is empty. It's vain. It's vanity. It's like a shadow that passes by. It leaves you with nothing. It's like um, eating Chinese, and then all of a sudden you're hungry again. You know, it's like one of those things. It's just like it seemed like it satisfied, but it didn't really satisfy. You know, now I want another egg roll. You know, and so it's just one of those things. It's like life. You take it in. It seems like it was good, and it's like, oh, you know, I'm hungry for more. Uh, and so he is steering. Uh, all this, he steers us towards the truth. And I think all these things that happen in life, all these hard things, all the things that he's done, 
have steered him towards the truth, to answer his question. And so he have done, he's done all these experiments, and they are all prodding him along. Last week I used the example of a boat. You know, he has steered into many ports, but now the wind is shifting, and he's going towards that true shore. He's going towards the answer. And so, and his question, uh, or he's trying to answer these questions, you know, and is life just empty and vain? And the answer is yes, if you don't live for God. If you don't live for eternity, but if you just live under the sun, yeah, it's, it's empty, it's vain, it doesn't satisfy, it leaves you lacking, it leaves you wanting more. And some of the cruel and backwards and frustrating things in life are like cattle prods. They're there to poke you and to keep us in a direction. It's like a guardrail. It's like something that, that God has put out there to keep you from going too far off. And he is using all these things to try to steer us towards a path to point us towards a direction, to point us towards God's direction. He uses events in our life. He uses the wrong things in our life. He can use the things that are wicked in this life to steer us towards Him, to seek Him out. If happily we might feel after Him and find Him, though He be not far from every one of us, Acts 17 tells us, that He uses life to draw us towards Him, to woo us to Him. God wants to be found. 2 Peter 3.9 says, He is not willing that any not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants everyone to be saved. And so he uses life and he uses some of these frustrations and the daily grind to draw us towards him. But we are under the curse. This is Satan's world for now. He's the one who's ruling and reigning. He's the one who calls the shots. We are in a war. But... God can use all things towards our good, right? The Bible tells us that. You know, if we love him and are called according to the purpose, he can use all this. He can even use all those things when you're lost to steer you and to point you towards him and true answers and, and true satisfaction. Eagles, uh, which, awesome to say, we have in Indiana again. It's always still exciting when I see an eagle, um, which we get to every once in a while, living where we do by the lakes, uh, and uh, there's... Martinsville is known for hash reeds, goldfish capital of the world. Who knew it? Not the crackers, the real fish, uh, the ones you win at the fair. And so, uh, um, uh, and we heard this last week in Martinsville that apparently Bigfoot loves all the hatcheries. He crosses all the woods, goes over there, and eats from them. And so, I don't know if true or not, but that's uh, uh, what people in Martinsville told me. But uh, so the goldfish, uh, they, they eaten all them out of there. But I have all these fisheries. We have them all there. And so, I've seen eagles flying with fish in their talons, and they, they, they're around there. Uh, just south of our house, there's a little uh, hatchery. And uh, we can see the eagle's nest. And it got so big, because um, they added to it every year, that they had to build another one. And there's two or three there now, because I think the, 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 the baby ones have come back, and they've nested there, because it's like, hey, smorgasbord, you know, buffet, right here, you know, because they're right among all these little, little ponds. And so, but eagles, you know, they have this giant nest, and Elaine and I would drive down there, and we'll look through binoculars, and you see this bald head come up and look around, and it's neat watching them on their nest, you know, before the leaves come on. And they have their babies in there, and they have these, like I said, it's a huge nest, these giant limbs, you know, that they are locked together in there. And when the babies are young, they have it all fitted out inside, so it's all cozy and nice, and, you know, it's like, oh, like your little nest, you know, your little nest, you're in your little nest there. And so, uh, but as the, as the eagles, the little eaglets, uh, get older, and it's time for them to, to leave, they don't want to leave. They're in the cozy house. You know, they're like a teenager at home. Why should I get a job? You know, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to live off mom and dad. And the eagle's like, ain't happening. You know, so they begin to make it harder for them. You know, so they take all the soft and fluffy stuff and they throw it out. And so now it's just pokey sticks on the bottom. So the eaglets are like, 
this is not very comfy, Dad. And then they're whining, oh, Dad, this is horrible. You know, and, so, and so the eaglets all get on the edge of the nest, and they're all out there. And then the mom will, will fly, and the dad, they'll fly up next to him, and they'll fly in front of them and kind of show them, this is what you're built to do. You know, you're built to fly. See what I'm doing? And so it finally gets frustrating enough for the eaglets, they jump out of the nest. You know, because it's, they, they can't go back in the nest. He's made it all hard and, and pokey, and, and it's not comfortable anymore. That there's something better, but they don't know it. They, they, they don't know what flight is like. I don't know what flight is like, but man, I've, I've seen cameras that they've mounted on eagles and watch them fly. And it's like, that'd be awesome you know, to fly like that. And so finally, these baby eagles, they make it so hard, and they show and they instruct them that they push them out of the nest. They're like, you're old enough. And the eagle either flies or he doesn't. You know, but most of the time it flies. It's inside them that that's what they were built to do. And so they stretch out their wings, they fly, and they become to soar like an eagle. You know, and they learn to use the currents and the heat and all that stuff, and they fly. Because they were meant to fly. They were born to fly. They weren't born to live in a nest their whole life and watch cable. They were meant to go outside and, and have life and experience life and fly and see it from a vantage point and use the eyes God has given them and the strategy and all those things to go out there and, and be regal and majestic like they are as, as we see them. And so God taught the eagle that. He taught them that tactic. Don't make it too easy on them at home. Make them where they have to get out and try. And, and then they'll experience the flight that they were built for so much more that they didn't know and understand. I think God uses life like that for us. Don't get so cozy in this life. Don't get our roots so rooted in that we forget we are built for more. That we are made for a different place, a different land. You know, so sometimes those hard things are there, and he uses that in the lost person's life to drive them towards answers and solutions. So Solomon is talking about some hard things in chapter 10 here this morning, hard things in life, and he's giving us advice on imparting wisdom to us concerning on how to deal with some of the frustrating things in life. And some of this is way too familiar. So Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 4, says, If the spirit of the ruler rise up against thee... Leave not thy place, for yielding pacifieth great offenses. Pretty flowery. <laughs> First reading, you're kind of like, mm, yeah, I get you lost me. Um, but we can break this down. He's basically saying if you're attacked and you did nothing, yield. Comply. You know, the authority figures come and they're yelling at you, take the attack. If you didn't do anything, yeah, what do you got to feel guilty for? Uh, he said, it'll pacify the aggressors, what he says at the end there, pretty much. He says, uh, yielding pacifieth great offensive. You know, instead of fighting back, instead of arguing your point, instead of doing all that, yield, take it. It's like, yeah, be bigger. You know, like, let the guy rant and rave. You just take it. Okay. Go on. If you, you know, don't, don't put the argument. Um, why do people bully? That's the buzzword of the day. Why do people bully? Why, why are they mean to someone else? Uh, the honest word, jerks. Why are people jerks? You know, there's a lot of jerks out there, you know, that do all this. There's evil, mean, hateful, selfish, pride-centered, arrogant people. Because they're just like their father, the devil. You know, uh, that, that's who he is. He's prideful. You know, and, and, and God hates pride. He's all those things. And he also says, let that not, not be once named among us. We're not to be that way. If we're born again, Bible-believing Christians... We're not to live like the world. We're not to be like the world. We're to be transformed. We're to be different. We have self-control, patience, long-suffering. You know, the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, you know, the, the, uh, those things of Christ that we can actually have in our life here and now. We're to yield to those. We're to have empathy. Maybe that guy had a bad day. 
Maybe he just needs to yell at somebody. I guess better me than his wife. You know, maybe he won't fire you. Know, then this guy, you know, that would crush him. He might go out and who knows what he would do. All right, I'll take it. You know, be the one who takes it. You know, and, and pacify the anger. Yep, okay. You know, just, just take it in that way. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit. Long-suffering. Patience. You need the Spirit's help <laughs> when you're being falsely accused. You need the Spirit's help when you're being yelled at without cause. You need the Spirit's help when someone is there and everything in you wants to just give it right back to them. And you swallow your pride. And you say, okay. Or you don't say much at all. Or you just take it and nod your head. See, the lost don't have that. It's not in them. There's no reserve tank. There's nothing to lean on. There's nothing to go to. So they have zero self-control. Uh, they, uh, their control, their self controls them. As a matter of fact, you know, it's like anything that their flesh wants, that's what comes out. That's why they were in my lane. They were in my, you know, parking spot. They were in my spot. You're in my place. You know, you're, you're where I want to see. I'm going to cut in front of you all those different things because they only see themselves and their selves is right driving them. They don't care about anybody else. They only care about them. <clears throat> and so it's like, Ah, you know, it's frustrating that they have no empathy, no concern about anything else. Me, mine, mine, all about me, pride. It's all about them. That's who is in control of them. Their self is driving them. And Satan feeds it on. Yes, you know, they passed you. Get in front of them. Do this. They're doing that. That's all to you. They are insulting you. And this builds to the point we have road rage. And we've seen these things where people are getting out and punching and fighting and shooting. Over what? They got in front of you on space, or they, they turn without a signal or something. It's like, yeah, it's inconvenient, and it's not nice. It might irritate you. Go on. You know, it's like, no, they stop, and they get in these fights, and it just escalates. Uh, Solomon has addressed this before. It's, it's nothing new to him, but if you mark your spot here just to remind us, and go to Proverbs 15. He wrote a whole book of these, and this is just a little sampling of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, but Proverbs 15 says it in a way we're most more used to hearing. Proverbs 15, verse 1, says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words, <coughs> grievous words stir up anger. You know, a soft answer turns away wrath. A guy's yelling at you, why are you doing all this? Okay, sorry. Even if you have nothing to be sorry about. Even if it's nothing, just like, oh, okay, sorry, my bad. You just keep on going. You know, that, that's a lot better than, oh, yeah, you're the jerk, buddy. You know, that's going to escalate. You know, it's going to keep fighting. You're going you're gonna to end in fisticuffs or something there. And so um, not a defense, not an excuse. Take it. Agree. Move on. You know, don't let it be an issue. Diffuse the encounter is what he's saying here. Soft answer. Oh, sorry. You know, and this just, or nothing. Just move on. Ignore him. I'm not saying these are easy things to do. I'm saying these are hard things to do that Solomon's saying, here's what we're supposed to do. Domestic <clears throat> violence, you know, uh, fights in the home, you know, husband and wife. They boil up and boil up to the point where officers have to be called. And the officers show up, they come there and have to act like parents and diffuse the situation. Be good. Each go in your own room. Don't cross this line. That's his line. You know, don't go over that line. You have to go in there and tell him all that stuff. Walk away. And then Levi says, they usually say, we'll be back. You know, because they're not going to stay on their side. They're not going to do that. They're going to fight again. They're going to go out. It's going to escalate into something to blows or, or who knows what else. You know, because people are pride and self-destructive and they can't let someone have something over on them. And they're going to have to do that. We're, Solomon says, here's wisdom. Soft answer. Take it. You know, we're not to be a, a walking, you know, or a carpet, a mat. You know, let people step all over us. You know, there's time and place to defend ourselves. But he says, but just words and all this. Soft answer turns away wrath. Uh, pride leads to destruction. Uh, look at Proverbs 16, verse 14. It says, the wrath of a king is a messenger of death, but a wise man will pacify it. 
King has power. He can put you in jail. He can lock you up, do all these things. You smart off to the wrong authority figure, it can escalate. You know, we see that in the media all the time now. It's like not listening to the authority figure who has the power of the sword or has the power to put away and to do those things. It can escalate to the point where it'll cause you. He says, here, you pacify it. Satisfy, you know, let the ruler have his rule, you know, and, and take it and submit to it. Is it a hard thing today? Yes, because our world today says, you fight them. You fight them in the street. You fight everything they say. You fight everything they do. Uh, that's pouring gas on a fire. That's going to lead to your destruction, not the person telling you to do that. So you need to pacify it. I mean, put no fight. Uh, it shows their littleness. If you take it and let them have it and there's no cause to it, and then just go ahead and take it. Like I said, pacify it here. It says pacify it. You know, let that... Let that die down. Why, why let it build up just over arrogance and pride? Look at Proverbs 25. Solomon must have saw this a lot. I know we see it a lot. Proverbs 25 and verse 15. Proverbs 25, 15, it says, uh, By long forbearing is a prince persuaded, and a soft tongue breaketh the bone. It says there, you know, that uh, forbearing... You can convince someone. They'll listen to you more than if you're arguing back. You have more of an argument if you're in self-control. If they're all in a rage and they're staring at you with those angry eyes like Mr. Potato Head in Toy Story, and you're giving them kindness back, or at least, hey, you didn't ruffle my feathers back, that irritates the snot out of them. He says, go ahead and just give them that kindness. God has given us a weapon to fight back with. Yeah, be a little calm. Because they might even be persuaded to your argument. They finally say, say something. And you give them a soft answer. You know, that, uh, it says here that you can even break their bone. Because even when they come all up, because most of your world experiences, if you rile up somebody else and you yell at them, they're going to yell back. And you don't react that way, it'd be like a smack across their face. All of a sudden, you're calm and kind and ki- quiet and nice and thank you. I'm sorry. I'll try to do better or whatever. Like, what? Who are you? What kind of body snatcher thing's going on here? You're not even human. What, what is that? Well, the Bible does say we're aliens. We're to be different. We're to react different. Uh, it's to be that way. Like I said, it's, uh, we are strangers. We are pilgrims. And so we're not to behave as the lost. And Solomon says, this is wise, good advice. Be quiet. Pacify the anger. Take it. You know, carry it on that way. Solomon's like, you know how many cases I would not have seen? <laughs> if people just would have, if one of them had just yielded or one of them would not have said anything, that maybe they'd even gone home and the sun would not have gone down upon their wrath and they would have had a happy, healthy marriage. Uh, they argue. Turn back to Ecclesiastes 10. Verse 4 again says, uh, If the spirit of the ruler riseth up against thee, leave not thy place. Don't abandon your post. Don't quit what you're doing. For yielding pacifieth great offenses. You know, it's like, don't let it escalate. Don't let it build. Let it Stop with you. And that doesn't mean go home and take it out on your wife or on your kids or on your dog or whatever. So it's like, uh, you know, it stays with you. You roll it on. You pray to the Lord about it and have him help you. And he gives us some more. Verses 5 through 7. He tells us about some more injustice. Verse 5 says, There is an evil which I have seen under the sun as an error which proceedeth from the ruler. Folly is set in great dignity and the rich sit in low place. Set in low place. Verse 7, I have seen servants upon horses and princes walking as servants upon the earth. Uh, basically, he's given us a description of more injustices that Solomon has noticed. He calls it an evil in verse 5. He says it is an error. What is it that he sees it as evil and an error? Verse 6 says, folly is set in great dignity and the rich sit in low places. Basically, he's seen 
the wrong thing esteemed, uh, the dumb thing being elevated, and the smart thing being put down. Now, the one who should get the promotion as stays in a place and the idiot who's doing nothing gets lifted up. He's seen injustice in the workplace. He's seen injustice in how things went. Um, we call this the world which we live in. <laughs> this is how it happens. It seems like the world gets it wrong all the time, every time. Uh, the example's in verse 7. I have seen servants upon horses and a prince walking as servants upon the earth. Uh, that's backwards. See, the prince is not supposed to walk any place. Uh, the prince rides on a horse. If he's not riding on a horse, he's being pulled in a carriage. If he's not being pulled in a carriage, he's being carried you know, on a le- litter, I think they call it. Not a cat litter, but a litter. <laughs> and so they, they carry it, or a beer. It's weird words. We don't use those anymore. But they, they carry him around. You know, we've all seen Cleopatra sitting on there, and they're carrying it through and, and going through. He says, you know, the princes don't walk anywhere. The servants walk everywhere. You know, they're always on foot soldiers down there. He says, boy, you know, but... Uh, he said, and just the other way, servants don't ride anything. Servants walk everywhere because they can't afford the horses. They don't have carriages. They don't have to do that unless they work for me and they're driving the carriage. He says, it's just not supposed to happen that way. Uh, yet Solomon says he sees this all the time, that the foolish person is rewarded and the hard worker is kept down. He says, that's just unjust. He says, and yet it happens all the time. And I can say, yeah, it happens all the time. I see it at my work. It's routine, it's tech work. Elaine's work, she comes home and it seems like management can make the bad decision, they make that decision every time. It's like, oh, you know, this person's goofing off and doing nothing, let's give them a desk job because they don't make anything, let's, uh, let me, but you're working hard, we'll keep you working hard. You can work harder because somebody's got to pay her salary for not doing anything. It's like, what? That's not supposed to be that way. It's like, you're supposed to be like, hey, you don't work, get a job someplace else. Uh, the same way, I... Levi and Adam's work. They talk about the same thing. You know, things happen. So everything in our family, as I hear about it, and Joel's work too, it's like, man, it, that seems normal. The person who's not doing it, the person unqualified gets the promotion. The people qualified that should be, don't get, you know, it seems down there. It's just like, it's just not, it's just not right, you know. Where, where hard work is not reward, rewarded and the slacker uh, is always rewarded. You know, the, it's supposed to be that the hard work is rewarded and the slacker is supposed to be punished, you know, or, or at least reprimanded or something. Uh, people who refuse to do their job, this seems like they always get promoted. Uh, it's kind of like, well, we can't hurt their feelings and they don't really know. And it's like, oh, you know, but you do so much production. We'll keep you there because we make money off you. Why would we want it? It's like, it's not supposed to be that way. It's not how supposed, America is supposed to work, but we reward you know, inactivity. We, we reward that. It's how it is. It's just like, ah, just so bad. It's just insane. It's pretty much that's America today. You know, it's just wrong. Um, I'd heard Chicago was experimenting with paying everybody a base salary without working at all. We're just going to give you all a base salary. And if you want to work, great. If you want more money. But if not, you can just stay at home and we'll pay you to stay at home. Huh? How's that going to work? Where are they getting that money from? Probably you and me. But uh, it's like, that, that, that's not, that doesn't build anything. What, what, America is built on biblical principles where hard work is rewarded, and that's how we pursued and we, and we went ahead, and that's why we became one of the greatest nations on the earth. But uh, Can I get an amen if you've ever witnessed this in your life? <laughs> Have you ever seen it in your job? Have you ever seen it? It happens, right? I'm not alone in this. And I tell you what, it is frustrating. You come home, and it's like, I was working today. 
Same stupid stuff. You know, same stupid thing happening again. How about yours? Same thing. My wife and I have concluded, you know, they say the average person stays at their job five years and moves around, you know, because they get so frustrated. Same thing everywhere. You're just going to find out. It takes you five years to figure out the same stupid stuff happens here. You know, it's like, so go ahead and stay and get some time in some place. But it's like, man, it's the same. And it doesn't matter what field it is, you know, that, that it goes on still. It's the, it's the wrong way because we're in a fallen and corrupt world. And it's so, so frustrating. Don't you want it to be right just once? Don't you want things to just go as it's supposed to go just once? Don't you kind of root for that? Like, oh, let it be that way. Is it only going to happen in a movie? Is it never going to happen in real life? Oh, it's just so frustrating. How dreamy would it be that things went the way as it should be? And how, how satisfying would that be to be able to go home and say, hey, things went right. Things went the way they were supposed to go. Man, it was like it was all, hard work was noticed and rewarded. Uh, the slacker was finally called on it. He got caught, and they actually held him accountable for it. You know, laziness was not rewarded. You know, that the flat-out crooks were finally punished, you know, from stealing from the company and doing whatever. Like, oh, that it finally cost them something instead of at least not being rewarded for their, their foolishness and what was going on. Doesn't, not, doesn't it frustrate you? Doesn't it frustrate you seeing all that? Sickens you, kind of. Sometimes it makes you want to punch somebody. But we're Christian, and we're supposed to have restraint, and we're not supposed to do that. We're not to make the big deal. We're supposed to sit here and take it. He's already told us that. Soft answer takes away wrath. We're to be patient. We're to be long-suffering. We're to keep on keeping on. Ah, still maddening. doesn't make any less maddening. It's nice to have a God we can pray to. It's nice to have a, a spouse or you know, other people we can get together and talk about what we see, that it is wrong. But don't you long for a world where it would be right, where things would be right? If someone was promoted over you, you would say, they do deserve it. That guy does work hard. Well done, boss. Smart decision. You know, that you could be there and you'd be like, man, go home feeling good. Our company has hope. You know, they actually have management that notices and rewards and put things where they're supposed to be. And you could feel pride for that person. They're like, yeah, I want to be like them. They work hard. It encourages me to work hard. I want to work hard like them. That you could actually, you know, be proud of someone that's moving up in their hard work and acknowledge them for that. I'd be like, yeah, that dude deserves it. Oh, a world like that would make sense. It would be so different. It would be so different than this world. It would be like heaven. See, God takes the coziness out of this world. He takes everything where you could be complacent and be happy and enjoy it and forget that there's another world to come. He's like that eagle. He starts to take away. It's like, okay, you're where you are. Don't get too comfortable. Let's put a little pokey sticks down in there. Let's get you standing on the edge. You were built for more. You're not to just live in this world. This life is not all there is. There's more. There's this life and then the real life thrown in. We get the best of both worlds. He wants us standing on the edge saying that, man, that sure is horrible down in there. I'm going to stand on the edge and I'm going to look for you. And he flies out there showing us, here's what you're meant to be. Here's my son Jesus. See the example? Just like that mama eagle stood out there and flapped her wings. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to soar. And we watch them by the example. And sometimes we're like, but I'm not ready. And sometimes we get that push. <laughs> we, get, we get those things that we're supposed to enact. But we're yearning for that day. We sing about it, right? One sweet morning, when this life is o'er, I'll fly away. You know, we want to do that. We want to go to that place. We want to be in that place. We want to have a place where it's like that. <clears throat> we're not alone. The disciples 
had these same wrestles. And that's where it's pretty neat that, that Solomon goes through, he experiments, and he sees all this, he sees these frustrations, and I think he understands that those are all those little prods to point us towards heaven, and to, to, if we don't know Christ as Savior, to point us towards a Savior where things are made right. And if we do know Christ as Savior, to remind us that this world is not our own. Uh, we, we are to be living for another place, that we are to be sending our treasure ahead. And so Solomon is building to that conclusion. Um, but I like that all of his questions are answered in Jesus Christ. Look at Mark chapter 10. Solomon gives us some advice on how to deal with it. Be quiet, take it, you know, carry it on, at least diffuse the situation. Yeah, it's frustrating. I see this all the time, Solomon tells us. But we want satisfaction, right? Curiosity killed the cat, they always said, but satisfaction brought him back. That's why he has nine lives. That's, what, that's, what, that's, that's the, the rest of the poem I never heard until I was way too old. But, yeah, but curiosity kills the cat. Satisfaction brings him back. Kind of like, hey, I found some answers there. We get some satisfaction in Jesus Christ. We have the answers. So uh, Mark chapter 10. Now I can't find it. Verse, verse 28. Uh, verse 28 says, uh, Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. So we're kind of jumping in the middle of the story. Now the verses before this are about the rich man and the rich people and the rich going on. And the disciples are kind of like, what's the deal? We're doing what's right. We, we, we're following you, the Messiah on the earth. It seems like all these guys are rich and rewarded and they get it all. And Jesus kind of comforted them a little bit. It's not easy for a rich man to get saved. They trust in their money. It's easy for them because they have money and wealth and they can grease the palms. They can get things done. He says, you know, it's easier for a man, you know, a camel to go through an eye of a needle. Verse 25, I think it is. Easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So he understands there's an injustice. Things don't go as it's supposed to go. Things are wrong and you are doing right and it doesn't seem like it's counting for anything. Matter of fact, you're persecuted. We're living without a house. We're, we're traveling around. We're getting run out of cities. We're getting persecuted everywhere. And so Jesus is addressing that. And Peter's like, what's the deal? You know, we've left the hall and we are fully committed unto you and, and, and it's not paying off and in verse 29 and Jesus answered and said verily I say unto you there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sister or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospels but he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren sisters mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life but many that are first shall be last and last shall be first he says I notice you will be rewarded in everything that you suffer through, every soft answer that you use to turn away wrath, every time you show long-suffering, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, and you take it and you bear Christ back to that person, God says, I notice it. I mark it down. And I tell you what, my interest is 100%. Everything that you do, 100-fold. There's a little encouragement to, to take it. Right? There's a little encouragement to, to bear it up and diffuse that situation before it runs into something that gets angry and blown out of place. He says, I will reward. Matter of fact, he tells us, he goes, I'm going to turn the world that you know upside down. All those that are riding horses and they should be walking, I'm going to flip it. First shall be last, and last shall be first. He goes, I will make things right. I will put things in the proper place where they are. You are built for a land where things work the way they're supposed to be. The hard work will be rewarded. God says, I do notice. I will do that. I will reward. First shall be last. Last shall be first. I promise you. Now go live like me. Who should have been carried around? Who should have been on the throne? Who should have been having the cushiest life ever? Jesus Christ, right? He made it. He made it all. What did we give him? Thorns. Spears. Lashings. 
nails. But one day, you'll be on the throne. One day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. One day, he will be set up like David prayed for. Lord, set up a table in front of mine enemies. He says, I'll do that. I'll let them know you were right. You keep being right. There's satisfaction in that. I already feel better just telling you about it. It's like all that frustration I haven't seen in the world and seen in my, 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 my family's workplace, seeing all that, and that, oh, you want to go in there and like yank that boss and tell him and whatever? <sighs> Knowing that God sees, that God knows, that those things will be answered and that we have that solution in Jesus Christ. And so we're to have, we're to use this text to help, and Jesus give it to us, to uh, turn on our eternal vision. We're not living for just here and now. We're to see long range. We're to know that suffering is noticed, that God does see. He knows where we are and what we're doing, that it will get better. He doesn't want us to break down, to give in, and to be like them and just join the system in that way. He says, you stay by the stuff. Be like Daniel. We saw in Daniel. He started out young, serving the Lord in a bold way. You know how he ended up? Serving the Lord in a bold way. He never gave up. He never gave in. He stayed that way, and he was rewarded to the point where he was at the top of two kingdoms. It was a little better for him in that way, other than they tried to kill him all the time. But, you know, so, but you know, he had to bear those things, not knowing what God would do. So Jesus knows. Jesus has been there. You're thinking, oh, he doesn't know the trouble I've known. Uh, yeah, I've not been crucified. He has. He's been there. He knows. He knows what it's like to be one thing and be accused of something else. He knows all that stuff. He knows all that frustration. He knows what it's right to be wrong, right and be told that you're wrong. He knows what it's like to be preaching the truth and have people say, no, that seems backwards and then totally opposed. He knows all that. And so stand by it. Stand like him. Be like him. When we read about his account, he's the eagle on the nest saying, look at me. Here's how you do it. Don't go back. Don't be cozy. Remember, you're built for more. You're built to be like an eagle. You will soar, right? He's the wind, right? He's the one. The verse tells us that. Mount up a winds of eagles. It'll be like him. That's him pushing us on. So Jesus knows. Jesus is the answer. He's the solution to all these problems. He's what Solomon's longing for, but we have the answer to. Boy, and I can take some comfort in that, and I hope you do as well.